Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Also, how late were you up last night playing Metal Gear or uh, playing Devil May Cry? You know what? I don't have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true you don't, and I love you anyway. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And this is Dylan. And we're here to talk to you about games and storytelling and theater and all of those things that we geek out about a lot more than people should. Dylan, what are we talking about this week? Before that, I just want to say, yeah, like, let's let's talk about life a little bit for two minutes. No, I hate you. (laughs) I know that we have a lot of pre-recorded content already, but... (laughs) So, Chris, something I really miss is... Like, very cool opening credit sequences in movies. This is fair. I agree with you. Fucking Devil May Cry 5 has one of the strongest opening <laughs> credit sequences in anything I've ever seen. Stronger than in DMC Devil May Cry when the pizza hides the peepus? <laughs> well, you see, the funny thing about it is, like, there's clear inspiration from that. Not the pizza peepus thing, obviously. <laughs> but, like, just, like, the very... Very dramatic slow-mo. But, you know, instead of, like, fighting off demons while getting dressed, Devil May Cry 5 opens with the main character jumping out. I actually sent it to you guys a while back, but because y'all are terrible friends, no one validated me. (laughs) It's true, Um, we hate you. (laughs) This is a call-out post. I know you listen. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, no, uh, the van, like, kind of, they're in a van, and it ramps off, like, a demon, and the main character, Nero, he jumps out the window, is on the side of the car, and he's, like, shooting all these demons all around him. And as, like, all this action's happening, your eyes are being guided to, like, the, the credits for the different creators. And, like, it they're just, like, kind of flying with the action. That's super uh, it's cool. It's really good. And it's in, like, very Matrix bullet time. Oh, it's, it's great. <laughs> I'm into it. I'll have to look this up after we're done recording. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to gush a little bit about Devil May Cry 5, because holy shit, it's out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dylan has been living for this moment uh, for a very long time. And so we, I managed to crowbar him away from the PS4 to record an episode. That's not true. That's not true, but, like, it very well could have been. <laughs> 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 All right, but, yeah, no, we, we can move on to the topic formally. So, this, actually, the the idea for this episode came, I was playing Tales of the Abyss, because I was talking about it with our friend Christine a couple episodes back. Chris, let me ask you something. Have you ever, like, booted up an old file of a game you played in your childhood, or middle school in this game's case, and you're like, man, I really love this game, but, like, you, you boot up the old file, and you're, like, near end game, and you're like, wow, I did not know how to play this game. How the <laughs> fuck did I beat it? Yup. Yup, 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 yup. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, uh, that's very real, especially for, like, any given RPG. Yeah. <laughs> like, I found 
this is a couple of years ago, but I found like an old 3DS cartridge of uh, Final Fantasy. It's the one I think three. it was. Yeah, I, th- I think you. I think you've told me that the only one you've played is three. I want to say on the 3DS, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the or three... not the 3DS, but the regular DS. Yeah, yeah. Like um, uh, Final Fantasy games for the DS are three remake of three, remake of four, and then there's uh, four Heroes of Light. So yeah, it's it one of those of three. three. Okay. Uh, and I opened it up and I was like, wow. This party can do nothing. I mean, like, Final Fantasy 3 is also hard as shit. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah no, I, I I beat the game. And the reason why I was even playing this old save file was because um, Tales the, the Tales games, they have this really cool uh, new game plus feature where when you beat the game, you, you basically, every time you end a fight, you get a score. And at the end of the game, it tallies up the score of every battle you've ever done, and that becomes currency for you to buy upgrades for your next playthrough. So I was like, I want to revisit Tales of the Abyss. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play through it again, and this time I'm gonna play it right. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do every side, not every side quest. That game mm-hmm. has a crazy number of side quests, <laughs> but I'm going to do, I'm going to get a little bit more involved in the side quests. I'm gonna pay more attention to the side content because I don't just play games for the story like I did in middle school. And I'm gonna I'm gonna really take my time and let this game breathe. Like a fine wine. <laughs> I've been enjoying it, but what I wanted to talk about was um there was a moment in Tales of the Abyss where I got to the first town for all intents and purposes, and I've always remembered this town as being like a kind of bland nothing town. It's got like a couple buildings and it's it's this basic farmer's town. Mm-hmm. Um and it's where you start your adventure. And I think because I decided to actually explore this town i started to slowly appreciate like tiny details the designers put in there that like i would have overlooked otherwise so for example there is a side quest where uh you you enter an npc's house and she's cooking a meal and she just asks you to go to her friend's house who lives near the uh the water wheel and give her uh to give her some miso and, like, it's this very, very simple fetch quest. It takes, like, a minute. But, like, I actually had to, like, kind of look at the town and appreciate the details. Like, they fucking made a water wheel, added the sound effects. You can hear, like, the water churning from, like, the next screen over. Uh, it was just a really cool detail um, that I would have completely overlooked if it wasn't for a side quest that rewarded me with a recipe for food. That's really cool. So I guess what I wanted to talk about was how side quests or optional objectives in games allow us to appreciate details we might typically overlook. The place my brain immediately goes to, mm-hmm. and Dylan, I know that you will be excited to talk about this, Okay, is Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Hmm. <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> well, that game is... Side content the game. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh... Majora's Mask is one of the only direct sequels in the Legend of Zelda series. It's a direct sequel to Ocarina of Time. I want to say it's one of three. <laughs> yeah, like there are not many. But the the main conceit of the game is that you're in this world called Terminus. And Termina. <laughs> term- you know what, Dylan? <laughs> you know what, Chris? If I it didn't is your baby, you, I they know. Think, they think, no, the people listening, you know, the ones who don't know us personally, all two of them, <laughs> they think they're going to think we're hacks if I don't put my foot down now. It's true. That's fair. That's why I keep you. Keep me in line. Always. Um, but you are in this world called Termina, and the world is going to end in three days. And you have the ability to, you know, 
Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day your way back to the beginning of that three-day cycle. So it is a game about learning the patterns of this world and learning the routines of this world and finding, like, the most efficient ways to get all of the things you need to get done. And there are some things that, well, I should ask you because it's been forever since I played this game and I'm, for, I'm forgetting this detail. Okay. Are there things that stay done from one cycle to the next? Yes and no. <laughs> you know, if you beat a dungeon, you don't have to beat the dungeon again. If you get a special key item, uh, like a special type of arrow or a, you know, a bow, that stays in your inventory. Other things like expendables, those are gone. Side quests are technically, they are registered as done, but you can repeat them as much as you want. Uh, when you go back in time, they're, the story kind of sets up like resets is what I tried to say. I think characters that are dead that you help uh, pass on because that is a key point of that game, those characters stay dead. But like, I think everything else like allows itself to reset. So yeah. like uh, the example I'm thinking of is you defend the cows on this ranch from a group of aliens trying to abduct them. Same. And yeah, of course. And you can, you can complete that side quest, but if you go back in time, um, and you don't do that side quest again, it will play out like you didn't do it. Um, but you still get the the reward from doing it the first time. I, I know this sounds confusing, but like, essentially, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I love about Majora's Mask is it is a game, if, you, if you're trying to figure out like what the sort of emotional core of its story is, is it is a story about this world and these people that you like see living the same three days of the, their lives over and over again as you try to save them. And, like, it's about learning what's going on to the point that you can do, like, that bit in Groundhog's Day where he knows exactly what's going to happen at every moment so he can, like, plan out his perfect actions to, like, get what he wants at any given time. I will admit I have not played that game in long enough that a lot of the specifics of, like, what is side content and what is not has escaped me. Yeah, it's very muddy because there's but, a lot of stuff that feels like it would be side content that's actually mandatory. Yeah, it's the kind of game where because it's all about this world and it, because it's all about learning the ins and outs of these people's lives, all of the side content that you can do helps to, like, create a clearer image of, like, who the people you're saving are. And so beyond that, like, mechanical benefit of, like, oh, now I have another bottle to put a potion in because I did this side quest, there's also, like, you've spent even more time. And, like, depending on the side quest, there are some that, like, you have to complete them within a certain amount of the time that is available to you in that three-day cycle because that timer is constantly going down. Yeah. There are some that, like, you might have to take several different cycles worth of tries on before you get it right and like i think it's very cool the way that that game incentivizes you to like really spend time in the world and really learn about you know at the end of the day it's this person is programmed to be in this place at this time but like it feels like you're learning about these people's routines and that's a very cool yeah thing that is built into the DNA of that game. Yeah. Not the coolest thing about Majora's Mask, but I think it's important to note that uh, one of the cooler things about Majora's Mask is that it is based on one side quest in Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time... I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I played the shit out of both of those games. So <laughs> Zelda, up until this one quest in Ocarina of Time, a lot of the side quests aren't really NPC-driven. There are 
side quests that feature NPCs, but like don't really have any kind of long-form story with them. But one of the most memorable moments in Ocarina of Time, which for the most part, a lot of that side content is like, do a minigame here, or, you know, you found this secret cave here, it has an upgrade for you. One of the coolest things in Ocarina of Time is the uh, Biggeron Sword side quest, which is so cool. It's so cool. It is a long trading quest where you are trading items for items for items until eventually you get a cool-ass sword. I I guess this was technically also in Link's Awakening, but uh, I I feel like what I'm getting at here is uh, in the Biggeron Sword side quest, there is a moment where there's there's like a small group of NPCs that you meet as a kid in Ocarina of Time. And like, they're all inhabitants of this town called Kakariko Village. And they're all very disparate characters. There's the uh, Kuko lady who she she's raising chickens to try to pay for her family to help. I don't remember the specific details, but like she's raising chickens, but she's allergic to them. And that's kind of its own funny, cute thing. Um, there's an NPC you can talk to at night who's like a complete misanthrope, and he's like, "People are disgusting. I hate everyone." Such and you're like, "All right, <laughs> all right, cool, good talk, bro. Cheers. I'll drink to that." <laughs> um, there's also the uh, head carpenter who's angry that all of his carpenters are like super lazy and blah 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 blah. You do the side quest, you find out they're all related. <laughs> <laughs> like the woman raising the. I think I called her the Cuckoo Lady. She's uh, She raises chickens. Chickens in Zelda are called Cuckoos. Her brother raised a special Cuckoo, and her brother, like, uh, it, it's, it would take too long to explain, but, like, there's, there's, like, you are trading items from, like, the sister to the brother to the father back to the fa- uh, back to the brother, but the brother's dead, and it's just, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, there's all these plots with happening, and, like, a game that otherwise, like the main pl- the main plot is the only story there. So I I don't know that that always left a big impression on me. God, Ocarina of Time has so many good side quests. <laughs> I mean, like it, it, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it has a lot of good mini games. I don't really know if there's any side quest that's like as involved as that one. That's fair. The Happy Mask Salesman side quest is pretty good. It's got it's got good side content. Uh, yeah. I, I did a Zelda randomizer for Ocarina of Time, and it forced me to really learn um, all of the different side quests or all <laughs> of the different places you could pick up items. So that was fun. Um, I I'd never played the like the game that thoroughly before. Wait, hang on, hang on. We'll mm-hmm. we'll get back on topic. Does it randomize everything? Um, there are different flags you can set. Uh, as to what it randomizes. I can't remember the exact flags I set, and I want to. I want to point out that I, I have, I'm nowhere near close to beating this randomizer, so I might start a new game. E- essentially, like you, you can set different flags, and it will basically be like we will change all of the items in a dungeon. You can set it so that like a chest can, when you open a chest, it can be anything from anywhere, like including side quest rewards or like if you do a mini game, you would normally expect to get like a piece of heart or something, but you could get the Hylian shield, or you could get a heart. Like, literally okay, so, just, just so a health unit. Does it even randomize, like, what items are in dungeons? Yes. So, that hurts my brain. <laughs> yeah, so, um, me, an idiot, I was like, yo, I'm gonna... So there's a flag you can set for, like, 
essentially like the randomizer makes it so that you don't have to leave like you can do the first dungeon entirely and then the game goes out of control i was an idiot so i was like nah turn that off and i've been playing this game for like 20 hours and i still can't find the slingshot my brain hurts i've beaten two dungeons chris my brain how (laughs) because everything Everything is not where you expect it to be, and every time you open a chest, you are praying that it is something that will allow you to beat a dungeon. And then it turns out it doesn't. I had to, uh, because the way the game works, you can actually, you're not gated anywhere. Um, or you are by items, but like, for example, you can leave Kokiri Forest before you beat the Deku Tree dungeon. I know that okay, anyone who hasn't okay. played Ocarina of Time is like, what the hell is he talking about? But In order to make the game playable with complete randomness hampering you at every turn, they took away some of the like non-mechanical barriers to like, yeah. moving through the world. Yeah. So like um, in, the, in, in Ocarina of Time, ordinarily you cannot leave the starting area until you beat the first dungeon because that is how the game works. Like yeah. there's not, there is not a solvable problem standing in your way, you just can't leave. I had to do the Dodongo's Cavern level without bombs, and or most of it without bombs, and eventually I, I hit a point where I'm like, well, I can't climb that ledge. So what I had to do was I had to come back as an adult <laughs> where I was tall enough that I can climb that ledge and then beat the boss then. Like, you have to think, Fine. Four, you have to think four-dimensionally with these randomizers, dude. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> but anyway, back to side content. Yeah, you you said that you had some other games that you were you were thinking about this specifically with. Yeah, so I guess uh, this is going to be a small aside, but uh, because Devil May Cry is on my mind, one of the cool things about the Devil May Cry games is that they have these hidden missions where they they give you different challenges, but it, they also subtly teach you about like advanced game technique so one mission can be stay in the air for 30 seconds and you know when you're a player you're like this is impossible but then you can also learn that you can uh jump cancel off of enemies so you can actually jump on the bodies of enemies and so that's what you're supposed to do to be able to stay in the air for that long there are some other ones but like off the top of my head that's like the big one so i won't i won't stay on this topic too long I really like Final Fantasy twelve. <laughs> this is this is known. This yeah, is known. <laughs> this is known. One of the big things about like Final Fantasy twelve that it's <sighs> there's like a lot of there's a lot of like different opinions on Final Fantasy twelve. I think like a lot of people are upset about the story because it doesn't kind of it doesn't follow the same romanticism that previous Final Fantasy games follow. Um it's a lot drier, but I think what people say about the game is, like, I don't really care that much for the story, but I like the world. And I like the story, but that aside, I think what they mean is, like, the world is just rife with side content. Um, There are side quests that, like, you have to wait for a certain season to do. So there's, like, a there's an in-game timer where, like, every 15 minutes of real time, there's one area on the map where the seasons will change. And sometimes you'll have to do uh, side quests on that specific moment. Or a lot of the side quests in Final Fantasy XII are hunts, where basically you see a wanted poster for a monster that you have to kill. And the process is you accept the hunt, 
you go to the person who put out the bounty, you talk to them, they give you some story about, like, why you need to kill this monster, and maybe a hint on how to lure it out, and then nine times, or uh, the most interesting hunts have you basically talking to NPCs and researching how to lure these monsters out. So so some of the ones I can think of are, uh, there's one where you have to go into a sandstorm, and you need to talk to an NPC who created, who was trying to research the desert, so for that purpose he created a device that will allow him to venture into the sandstorm. And just really cool story details like that. There's another one where, like, uh, I think it's uh, it's called a cluckatrice, uh, play on words of uh, cockatrice. Boo. And... Well, cockatrices are also enemies in that game, so they had to differentiate it. Gotcha. Um, You had, like, you have to lure it out by attacking its chicks, but the chicks don't come out until all of the enemies, all of its natural predators in that little area of the map are killed. So you have to wipe out all the enemies there, leave, come back, see the chickatrices, I think that's what they're called, kill, like, start attacking the chickatrices, and then the mother will come out and you're like, oh, fuck. Because it's too strong and I'm underleveled. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> that actually put me in mind of um, The Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, The Witcher is a series... There are, there are three of them. Thank you, this has been my <laughs> TED Talk. Um, <laughs> they are a series of games from the Polish game studio CD Projekt Red based on a beloved series of Polish fantasy novels about the titular Witcher by uh, Andrzej Sapkowski. In this universe, Witchers are essentially monster hunters. They are people who have undergone, like, intense training and, like, some degree of, like, magical and chemical enhancement to be perfect monster hunters for hire. The Witcher 3, I have not played all the way through. I played a bunch of it back when I had access to a PS4 when I lived with my good, good friend Dylan. Um, It is a game in which... You know, there's a big story happening. You're trying to track down you as Geralt, the titular witcher, uh, are trying to hunt down and find a student of yours. And you like you get embroiled in matters of state and there's war and conflict and all that kind of stuff. But you're still a witcher, which means you're a monster hunter for hire, which means that there are all of these different side quests you can do involving like you go to the town board and there's this person who's like, well, I lost my dog and there were like very big, not dog-like paw prints. Please stand by. Thank you for standing by. Yeah, in the midst of recording, the world happened and I had to step away for a little bit and we kind of we kind of lost the thread. We're, we'll finish out as strong as we can, but... Yeah, this might be a... A this will be a little episode. bit of a short episode because we both got like very angry at the way that people treat other people for a little bit. So, yeah, uh, be kind. Be please. I was talking about The Witcher, and I was talking about how the monster hunting in The Witcher is very cool because it's not just like here is a creature that you need to kill. Like, every time that you get a quest to hunt down a monster, it plays out almost like a little detective case where, like, Geralt goes out and has to, like, maybe he has to ask around and talk to villagers who have seen whatever the creature is. Or maybe he has to go to, like, the scene of a crime and sort of, like, you know, Batman his way through the evidence. And, like, they manage to build what feels like a chapter of a short mystery story into every monster hunt Mm. and like 
it doesn't do a ton for like the overarching plot, but it does a lot for like you getting to see Geralt doing the thing that he does and mm. being this monster hunter, which really helps to inform uh, the fantasy of that game and how you as the player think about what you're doing. And I just, The Witcher 3 is really cool. It's a very yeah, cool game. I dig it. <laughs> I don't want to just wrap it there, but I, I lost whatever train of thought I had. That's fair. This is a short one. We'll wrap it. It'll be fine. We'll yeah. do next week. If you're down, Dylan, I think we, we should take another trip back to the writer's room and do... Uh, oh, shit. Is it episode 20? It's going to be episode 20 next oh, week. Oh, yo! All right. Which I'm super hyped for. So Dylan and I will talk. We'll figure out another game to give the, uh, the writer's room treatment to. So sorry for this one being kind of short, but sometimes life happens and a wrench gets thrown in the spokes and we're rolling with it. Anyway... Thank you all for listening to Backstage Gaming. We are on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and at our website, bsgpod.com. That's bsgpod.com. There you can find our episodes, you can find our bios, you can shoot us an email through the contact form there. And please, if you like what we do, if you like the show that we make, if you like our sort of opinions on how games come together... Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It will really help us grow. It'll really help, you know, the algorithms kind of pick us up and help us develop as a brand. Uh, we got social media stuff. Um, if you want to check us out, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. We have a YouTube. Um, and our Twitter handle is at BSG underscore cast. And if you like the stuff we talk about, you can talk about us by using the hashtag BSGPod. Also, if you like the artwork we have, our lovely, lovely friend Brennan French did that for us. Um, you can check out his Squarespace at brennanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French.squarespace.com. And you can also check him out on Instagram at Instagram slash Brennan French Arts. That's B-R-E-N-N-E-N-F-R-E-N-C-H-A-R-T-S. You can also please go check out our friend BioQuery. He is the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. He's also got a lot of tracks that he's been doing production work on. He's got a new EP out called Posthuman Angst that is just the slap. It's, it's so it's good. It's just a slap. It's just a slap, and that is on Spotify. You can also find him at his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. One more time, we're going to plug for this event. When you hear this, the coming Saturday, Saturday, March 16th, we are going to be live at Beat Kitchen in Chicago what? as part of the Chicago Podcasters Unite live show. It's going to be super fucking cool. There's like 10 different podcasts that are performing. There's going to be uh, interviews with artists who are in town for C2E2. There's going to be live music. It's 10 bucks for like six hours of entertainment. It's going to be really cool. And you can find tickets for that at bit.ly slash C-P-U-T-I-X. That's bit.ly slash capital C, capital P, capital U, capital T-I-X, C-P-U-T-I-X. Check out Unexplored Places, the actual play podcast that Dylan is appearing in the current arc of. Check out Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery in which I am in the final episode of the first season of. And... Thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. We, we love, love you. you. Hey. That was weirdly in sync and I didn't really <laughs> like it. <laughs>
Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.